Back to throw off Fitzpatrick. Throwing high into the air. Got it. Parker, touchdown. What a win for this Miami Dolphin team. Wow. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your Miami Dolphins each and every day. How is it going, everybody? Happy Friday. Happy pre-4th of July. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we are previewing Miami's Week 6 opponent, a game on the road in the Rocky Mountains with the Denver Broncos. And to help us do that is Eric Dalala of DenverBroncos.com. What are the expectations out in Denver for Drew Locke? All those offensive additions. How do Von Miller and Bradley Chubb complement one another? Who's the biggest unsung star on the team? All of that and more on this Friday, July the 3rd edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And I'm pretty excited for this edition of the Know the Enemy series. We've taken a look now at the Patriots, Bills, Jaguars. We're going to get to all 13 opponents on the Miami Dolphins schedule. We also have written content, taking a look at some of the analytics and inside football stats up on MiamiDolphins.com for each of these opponents. We have October's opponents up now live on the website. We had September, I think it was last week. So go check that out, MiamiDolphins.com. But I'm pumped to talk about this Broncos team because... I find them one of the more fascinating outfits in the entire NFL with the offseason they had surrounding Drew Locke with all those weapons. I was a huge Jerry Judy fan at Alabama. K.J. Hamler at Penn State, he was one of the guys at the scouting combine that every Big Ten defender you talked to said he was the toughest guy they faced on Saturdays in college. Noah Fant was a big fan of his game out of Iowa two years ago. And then maybe even the best out of that entire bunch of NFL talent is the NFL-proven Cortland Sutton, who had a very similar year last year to Devontae Parker with the numbers. But I won't waste any more time here talking about this team without our guest. Let's go ahead and bring in the Broncos expert from DenverBroncos.com, Eric Dalala. And riding shotgun now here on the Drive Time Podcast is our Week 6 Dolphins at Broncos, the October 18th game. Our correspondent for that game, Eric Dalala. he covers the Broncos for DenverBroncos.com. Eric, welcome in, man. Hey, thanks so much for having me. We're excited about having you on the podcast here, and I, I've always wanted to go to Denver myself, actually being a West Coast native. It never happened for me, but now I get my chance here in October. Is that the best time of year to go out to Denver? Yeah, I love that time of year, that September, October weather, starting to get a little bit crisp. The uh, the leaves are changing up on the, up in the mountains, so people who head up there for a day trip, you can see some pretty spectacular fall colors. Uh, still, it'll be nice during the day uh, at Empower Field a mile high, and it could get a little crisp by the time we're leaving the press box that night, but... Yeah, that's just a great time of year to be here. It's one of those areas where you can have snow one day and then like 70 degrees the next day. So it's always a coin toss as far as what you'll get. But, you know, I've also looked at some of the Broncos um, just trends and it seems like they tend to win a lot of those early season home games. So I'm I'm happy that it's it's October, but I guess it could be better for weather in September. But again, the on-field product for the visiting team may be a little bit better chance in October. Eric, we are in a crazy time right now. How has it been for you covering the league, covering this team during all of the coronavirus and, and everything going on right now how you've been doing with work and everything yeah it's been interesting you know I think when we left in mid-march um and Joe Ellis the Broncos president and CEO said everybody needs to work from home 
think we all, like everybody, thought this is going to be a couple-week thing, but uh, now going on month four or whatever it is, you know, we've covered free agency from home, the draft from home. These these Zoom press conferences kind of seem like second nature by now, uh, but I think like everybody, we're eager to see what training camp's going to look like, uh, what the start to the season is going to look like, and, and not just from a football standpoint, but how are we going to be able to get content to the fans um, because it's it's going to be a unique season, and so hopefully there's some cool opportunities to show the differences and, and give fans a good look at that. And you mentioned training camp. We are just less than one month away from the start of training camp. Some alterations to the preseason schedule and the Hall of Fame game, of course, has been canceled. And last year, the Broncos were in that Hall of Fame game. And I remember that Drew Locke played early in that game and got a lot of reps in that game. And Vic Fangio came out afterwards and just basically said he's not ready to play yet, his first game as an NFL player. But then he made a big jump when he got into the lineup in December. And I want to know from someone that was there firsthand throughout the year that saw a rookie quarterback grow from that first preseason game all the way till the end of the season when the Broncos' offense improved by five and a half points per game when he entered the lineup. What was it about that experience for him that helped Helped him grow into that role, and what do you think about Drew Locke's prospects now heading into year number two? Yeah, so for those who don't know, I mean, he was drafted in the second round, came out here, and I think was overwhelmed by the playbook to start off, just because it's such a different experience than what he had at Missouri, um, where they're holding up signs. It's a you know, it's a hurry up offense. They're they're using numbers and letters instead of these long, complicated play calls that a lot of NFL offenses use. Um, I think what impressed me first was his work ethic because day one, he, he said, this is a lot, you know, I'm barely breaking the huddle. Uh, went home that night and spent, I think, three or four hours just practicing in the mirror these play calls, then recorded himself practicing the play calls, would listen to those on the bus on the way to the facility. So I think that's what people noticed first was that the work ethic was there. And that was a big thing because, you know, a few years ago, the Broncos took Paxton Lynch in the first round. And he, for whatever reason, was never able to take advantage. And there is this perception in Denver that part of that was motivation. Part of that was work ethic. And I don't think there's any concern there with Drew. And so for me, that checked a big box on day one that he was in Denver. Um, like you said, it was a little bit rocky early on. It didn't play well in the Hall of Fame game. Granted, you know, he wasn't getting that many snaps because he was competing for the backup role at that point uh, with Kevin Hogan. Joe Flacco was the clear starter at that point. He was a little bit better the following week against Seattle. I thought he was really strong, uh, led a 8-10 to 10 play scoring drive in his third preseason game, and then he gets hurt. He gets sacked, hurts his thumb on his throwing hand, is out essentially for the next 10 weeks. And like you mentioned, Vic Fangio said, hey, you know, you're a pitcher right now. You're not a quarterback. You're throwing the ball hard. You're not a union card-carrying quarterback. I mean, Vic's got all these sayings, but... <laughs> Uh, he he also said that that time off really helped Drew because he could take a step back. He could do all this virtual reality stuff that the Broncos have and, and many other NFL teams utilize, but he could get a good feel for the playbook. And so I think there was concern that, you know, he was going to come back from this long layoff week 13 against the Chargers who had a top 10 defense last season, and then it was going to be ugly. And he threw two touchdowns in the first half. I mean, he really used that time to his advantage mentally and so moving forward to this year, after he threw uh, seven touchdowns, three picks last year, completed uh, nearly 65% of his passes, I think there's reason to believe that even without an in-person offseason program, as he's trying to l learn offensive coordinator Pat Shermer's system, that some of those habits, 
uh, that work ethic, that's going to go a long way into making sure he can take a step forward. And I think, Travis, my sense is that there's Drew is not going to be worse than he was last year. And so I think what you saw last year is a pretty good baseline. And that was, you know, if you average out his numbers, it's like 3,300 yards, 22 touchdowns. It's like 12 picks or something like that. I don't think he's going to be any worse than that. And I know we'll get to this, but because of all the weapons on offense, even if Drew is just average, I think those numbers are going to be inflated anyway just because of the talent. But, you know, if he takes a step forward, I'm not suggesting he's going to be the next Mahomes or Lamar Jackson or Carson Wentz, but you look at these year two quarterbacks, I do think Drew can put himself in the conversation if he, you know, maybe he throws for 4,000 yards and 27 touchdowns. And at least that proves then that he's the long-term guy here in Denver. Um, And then you can keep moving forward because that's been the issue with roster building since 2015 is that every year when you're trying to find a quarterback, you can't build around them. And and you end up using a first-round pick on a quarterback when you could use that on an impactful defensive player or skill position or offensive lineman. And so if Drew is the guy, and, and I think he'll show that this year that he is, uh, things look brighter for not just this year, but the foreseeable future. Yeah, it really benefits the team when you can find that quarterback outside of the general, you know, top five, top ten type of pick stuff. You get a quarterback in the second round, like you mentioned. You get the salary, you know, relief that way. You also get to add other premium spots or premium resources to the rest of the roster. I, I like the idea you talk about there with kind of prorating the rookie season numbers because you talk about 22 touchdowns, 12 picks. That's that's what you want your rookie quarterback to be able to do to show that he can take care of the football and produce that way in big-time numbers and, and elevate the offense the way Drew Locke did last year. I have a couple of comments for you here, Eric, because I love some of the, the notes you mentioned about him being a pitcher, not a quarterback just yet. My goodness, that guy can drill the football and really rip those tight seams and, and make some big-time throws that way. He's always been that way since he was back at Missouri. You also mentioned the weapons there he has around him, and we'd be remiss if we didn't dive into that next here because you got Cortland Sutton, who went crazy last year and had a big breakout season. Noah Fant, for my money, is one of the top athletic tight ends in the NFL once he gets a little more acclimated, a little more seasoning. And then you go out and add my personal favorite receiver in this year's draft class in Jerry Judy. You get KJ Hamler. I mean, it's it seems to me like they really, like you mentioned, because of the identification of having this quarterback they believe in, that they can go ahead and make these aggressive moves to surround him with that talent. And I'm curious to ask you how this kind of plays between John Elway and Vic Fangio, because typically you might see a defensive coach say, we want to go more on the defensive side of the ball. But they went all in on the offense with Judy and Hamler and getting Melvin Gordon. What is it about this receiving core that really helps benefit Drew Locke and can take his game to the next level? Yeah, Travis, I think part of it is that the receivers kind of all do something a little bit different. You've got Corlin Sutton, who's that jump ball type of guy, big possession receiver, um, a guy I think Drew Locke will still look to on third down, you know, had an insane target share um, last season when Drew got in there for his final five starts. Had you know he's he didn't have all that many games where he had more than four or five catches, but he's he's a four catch eighty yard type of guy. I'll be interested to see if that if he can kind of increase that catch number a little bit this season. But you've got him there. You've got Jerry Judy, who we've heard again and again about his route running, about his ability to look the ball in. You know he's not going to drop passes. He can catch a short ball and take it the distance. Um, Nick Saban told us that he thinks he's going to be best in the slot, but can also play outside as well. And you've got KJ Hamler from Penn State, and he's a guy that 
the strategy of the draft was interesting because when the Broncos took Jerry Judy at 15, nobody in the league thought they were going to double up and go receiver again in the second round, maybe in the third round, maybe in the fourth round, but not in the second. And so when they took KJ Hamler, they got a guy that could take the top off of the defense. Uh, He's going to challenge those safeties. And so those three receivers each do something different. And then Noah Fant, uh, because of his size and his speed, that combination right there, he can catch a short crossing route and take it the distance. Um, he's had he had a few hundred yard games last year, led all rookie tight ends, set a bunch of Broncos franchise rookie tight end records. So he's a guy I'm really excited to see. But I think when you take all of those guys and, and then you add the receiving ability of Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon, uh, there's almost too many options for teams to stop if all goes well. And we have to see if that translates to the field. But I think the biggest thing for the Broncos is the last few years they haven't had a lot of depth. You know, Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas, when they were both out uh, in 2018, you had a young Cortland Sutton, a young Deshaun Hamilton, and a young Tim Patrick, and those were your options. And obviously, Cortland's developed into this Pro Bowl player, but I think the fact now that Cortland can miss a game and you've still got Judy and Hamler and Fant, you know, that makes things easier for Locke, uh, and hopefully is the difference between a 6-10, and 7-9 and nine type season, and maybe 9-7, and 10-6. and six. It's kind of like looking on the mirror on the other side of the football. And if you just remove the fandom from this, your Broncos or Dolphins fandom, whichever side you may be on for this drive time podcast here with Eric Dalala of DenverBroncos.com, is that the Dolphins really went hard on the secondary and really made that an area of depth. So just from a pure football standpoint, I can't wait to watch the way this Dolphins defensive backfield matches up with all the options the Broncos have there at Drew Locke's disposal. Now, you mentioned the addition in the in the backfield of Melvin Gordon from the Chargers. He makes the jump in division there and joins Philip Lindsay, who I think is one of the more underrated backs in the NFL. So continuing that theme of adding depth and making yourself, like you said, flexible with game plans, but also the ability to replace a starter if he goes down for a game or two. What's the work share lo- load going to look like there in that backfield between Gordon and Lindsay? Who's the starter? Who's going to get more carries? Yeah, you know, I would I would view it more as a a touch situation instead of carries um, just because I could see a situation where they both get the same amount of carries, but maybe Melvin Gordon's on the field a little bit more, uh, you know, on third down. So maybe he gets some of these swing passes out of the backfield, some of these check downs. Um, you know, I would look at the playing time, maybe in the 60 to 70% range for Gordon and Philip Lindsay getting the rest of that. But Philip Lindsay has been doubted for a really long time. You know, he wasn't drafted wasn't highly recruited going to Colorado. Um, People didn't know that he was going to make this roster. Ended up making a Pro Bowl. He's the only undrafted player in NFL history to rush for 1,000 yards in each of their first two seasons. And he said repeatedly, uh, you know, he hasn't talked to the media a whole lot this offseason, but on Twitter, you know, he wants this job. And I think it's clear that he, you know, he appreciates what Melvin Gordon can bring. And that's, you know, someone by the goal line that's going to find a way in the end zone. Gordon has eight touchdowns in each of his last four seasons. Uh, only guy in the league with that uh, amount of rushing touchdowns. But I think Lindsay's going to make his case here in training camp. And so that's kind of one of the battles I'm more interested to see is everyone expects Melvin Gordon to be the starter, but Philip Lindsay has proved time and time again that he wants that role. And so, you know, maybe it's not a done deal yet, but I do think if I had to guess today that Melvin Gordon will probably get the share of the targets, share of the carries, um, and it's interesting, people view Philip Lindsay as kind of a speedy guy, 
but he's a between the tackles runner. Yeah. He just uses that speed to get through these gaps, whereas Melvin Gordon's more likely to blow through the gap and, you know, break a couple of tackles. I think if you keep Lindsay in that eight to 10 carry range, some of that explosiveness that he showed in year one uh, will probably come back a little bit because he had fewer big runs last season. It seemed like toward the end of the year, maybe some of the workload kind of wore on him a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see how they balance those guys, but I'd expect Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay to both play a really big role. I'm glad you mentioned the misperception of Philip Lindsay's playing style because he's one of the more unique backs that I've seen recently. And that's probably a big reason why he did go undrafted because he was a production machine there in college at Colorado because he's so high cut. His legs are cut so high, high waisted guy. And I just, I love watching the way he plays, the mentality he plays with. I'm curious though, Eric, did he ever move out of his parents' house? <laughs> he did. He did. Okay. I think he got a place of his own uh, and is doing well. So, but you know, it's a contract year for Philip Lindsay too. So he's got something to prove, you know, Melvin Gordon has this two year deal, but it, you know, teams can get out of these things. So both of these guys want to prove that they're worth big money. Um, so that'll be a fun competition to watch. It certainly will be. I love that. E, I think it was an E60 story they did on Philip Lindsay staying at home, helping his parents out around the house, Colorado guy through and through. Now, now, as far as offensive production, it seems like in today's NFL, there's an embarrassment of riches at running back, at receiver, even at quarterback these days with Cam Newton getting his contract recently. But you're only as good as your offensive line up front. And that's where I want to go now and talk about this Broncos offensive line. You've got former Dolphin Jawan James, who missed a decent portion of last season. I'm curious to know about how he affects where Dalton Reisner plays. Is Reisner going to be a guard full-time? Where does Lloyd Cushenberry figure in? Is Garrett Bowles still in the fold? Break down this offensive line for us if you can, Eric. You know, let's start in the middle um, with that interior offensive line because I think this group has a chance to be really good and you know, also has a chance to spend a few years together, which is rare in the NFL. Yeah. You've got Dalton Reisner at left guard who played every single, started every single game there last year as a rookie. Uh, you know, was a PWFA, all, or excuse me, PFWA, all rookie team member there at left guard. Uh, just a really impressive player, strong guy, uh, you know, didn't get dominated in any matchup really, even though he, he saw some tough guys like Chris Jones from the Chiefs. At center, you've got Lloyd Cushenberry, the, the rookie from LSU, who kind of fell to the Broncos in the third round. Um, there were, you know, all these mocks. Maybe he was going to go in the second round, ended up being there. At 83, I believe, for the Broncos, I would think he would start on day one. He's a start in, smart, instinctive guy. Pat Shermer said the other day that you know he's been really impressed by Cushenberry's work ethic, by his intelligence, how much he's been able to grasp of the system. Again, some of that's going to have to do with how much time do they get on the field and camp before the first game. And then Graham Glasgow uh, at right guard, who came over from the Lions, signed a four-year deal, has allowed one sack over the last two seasons. He's really good in pass protection and serviceable in the run game as well. You know, if Cushenberry's not ready, they could put Glasgow at center uh, and move somebody maybe to right guard. Um, but I think that group of three there in the interior is pretty set. Then you look at the tackles, and to me, that's kind of maybe the biggest question mark on the entire roster because you've got Jawan James, who you signed to this massive contract ahead of the 2019 season. He barely plays at all. He gets hurt in the first game against Oakland comes back a little bit against the Colts and gets hurt very quickly in week eight. Then they bring him out for week 14, I believe, against Houston. He plays the first half and then doesn't play. And it was an odd situation because Vic Fangio throughout the year was kind of like, well, he's close. 
we're getting closer. It could be this week. And it just never really materialized. And Juwan eventually revealed that he just never felt structurally comfortable with how his knee was holding up. Um, but while in Denver, all the conversation is about, is it going to be former first-round pick Garrett Bowles at left tackle who struggled so much with holding penalties, has led the league in those types of calls over the last three years, versus Elijah Wilkinson, an undrafted guy out of Massachusetts that played in Jawan James's place at right tackle. So that's kind of the talk of the town in terms of competition. But I actually have more concern about right tackle because I've seen Garrett Bowles play. He has not missed a game during his entire uh, three years with the Broncos. He's going to be available. You know, if he has a holding penalty every couple games, that's okay. But he doesn't allow sacks, doesn't allow the quarterback to get hit, which is something Elijah Wilkinson did struggle with. He allowed quite a few sacks in his time at right tackle last year. Well, one of those guys is going to work out. But to me, he spent all this money on Jawan James. He's supposed to be this premier player, this Pro Bowl type player. We've got to see him play. Uh, you know, he's got to be in the lineup for this Broncos offense to work as well as it needs to. Because if he's not there at right tackle, and then you've got maybe a little bit of uh, back and forth at left tackle with Wilkinson and Bowles, it doesn't matter how good Drew Locke is. It doesn't matter how good Jerry Judy or Cortland Sutton or Noah Fant or any of these guys are. If those two tackle positions don't get solved, this team isn't going to score that many points. Yeah, the more we talk about this offense, Eric, I'm more intrigued by it because I love the way it's constructed with the idea. You mentioned Graham Glasgow and Lloyd Cushenberry and how they might figure in at two of the starting spots, but it also kind of gives you some leniency in terms of who might play center because you do have Glasgow's experience there, and it's so important to have that communication and that experience at that position. Also fortunate enough to get Cushenberry in that spot where some folks might have thought he could have been a first-round level talent, so just a really intriguing offense, and I'm, I'm kind of convincing myself more and more that I'm a quasi Broncos fan this year as we go along this podcast and one of those reasons is I am such a big fan of the guy they brought in on the defensive line in Jarrell Casey I thought he was long one of the most underrated players in the entire National Football League just dominating every single year on the inside for the Titans there who else figures into this defensive line rotation alongside Casey there because you got some guys replaced Derek Wolf is now gone Jarrell Casey what's the rest of that lineup look like on the defensive line yeah, Travis, it was interesting because the defensive line, uh, the cupboard was kind of bare going into free agency. You know, last year's starters, you had Shelby Harris, uh, Derek Wolf, Adam Gotts, kind of Mike Purcell fit in there. Um, but Purcell was a restricted free agent going into this year. Shelby Harris and Derek Wolf were both unrestricted guys. And it, it was kind of a, a chance that all three of them were going to be gone. They tender Purcell with a second round tender, so he's back. Shelby Harris sits on the market for a long time and doesn't, doesn't end up getting what he thinks he's going to and signs back with Denver for a year on a super team-friendly deal. Uh, and he's a guy that, you know, I think he had five and a half, six and a half sacks last year, an impressive number, but he's not a high-volume sack guy, but he bats passes all the time. I think he leads the league in that category. Uh, really impressive at getting his hands up when he can't get there on the rush. So he was a big piece. But like you mentioned, Jarrell Casey, and the way that kind of all unfolded, which the Broncos were in hard for DJ Reader. And when he ended up signing a big deal with Cincinnati, there was kind of this sense of, you know, externally for me, man, they just missed out on a big piece that would have really helped this team. And then all of a sudden you find out you're sending a seventh round pick to Tennessee for Jarrell Casey, yeah. who needs that salary dump to clear some room. And it's like, man, this is too good to be true. You've got a five-time pro bowler that still has something left. Uh, you know, is he going to play here for five more years? It seems unlikely, but 
I, it wouldn't surprise me if you got a two, three good years out of him for a seventh round pick. And with Von Miller and Bradley Chubb on the outside, who are going to demand so much attention, it finally gives the Broncos this solid interior rusher that they've kind of missed in the last few years. So uh, I think a starting lineup of Shelby Harris, Mike Purcell, and Jarrell Casey is possible. It depends if they want to play Casey at tackle or end. I don't think that's quite clear yet. Um, another guy to know, Travis, on that line is Draymond Jones, uh, three and a half sacks last year, a third round pick from Ohio State. Mm-hmm. He kind of came on at the end of the year, was a defensive player of the week uh, after the week 16 game against the Lions when he had an interception. Uh, so I think they're trying to push him toward more playing time, and he could be a, a five to seven sack guy this year. So they've got enough depth there. Um, Christian Covington, they brought in as a free agent from the Cowboys to Marcus Walker, a former second round pick from Florida State who hasn't quite panned out, but will battle for a roster spot. Uh, so there's some guys in there. But, uh, you know, Casey is far and away the best player in that group, I think. Yeah, and if there's one thing John Elway has done in Denver, it's to it's bringing in veterans that can contribute right away. We saw it in the Peyton Manning Super Bowl years, and one of the main part, parts of that defense was DeMarcus Ware. And you mentioned Bradley Chubb and Von Miller. That's kind of a good transition here to the edge rusher position, the linebacker position. Now, Von Miller is still one of the top three or four pass rushers in the entire NFL for my money. I think you'd be remiss to find folks that disagree with that, if if at all. And he had a little bit of dip in production last year, but he's got Bradley Chubb coming off an injury to return. How do those two guys complement each other, and what does the entirety of this, uh, this Broncos linebacker core look like in 2020? Yeah, well, at the, I mean, at the outside position, when Chubb was healthy two years ago as a rookie, he and Vaughn combined for 26 and a half sacks, which I think was... It either led all duos or was second by half a sack. Um, I think it's possible the Chiefs, Chris Jones, and um, I'm trying to think who would have been there then, but I think they were possibly, you know, a a sack ahead. But, I mean, Bradley Chubb had 12 sacks as a rookie. He broke Vaughn's franchise rookie sack record. Um, He did it differently. He's more of a power guy, a bull rush. Um, He'll push you over while Vaughn's kind of that speed, agility, He's got that dip. He calls it the ghost move uh, where he dips under you before you can even touch him. I mean, that's what we saw in Super Bowl 50 against Cam Newton. And so together, I still think Vaughn has the capability to get to double-digit sacks. He had 14 and a half in 2018 when playing with Bradley Chubb. Uh, But to me, I kind of expect Bradley Chubb to lead this team in sacks just because uh, how motivated he's been to come back from this injury. He showed his talent. Uh, in 2018, something that impressed me too is Vaughn has always kind of his sack numbers have trailed off a little bit toward the end of seasons, whereas Bradley's numbers in 2018 kind of picked up a little bit. And so it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, maybe he's in that 15 to 16 range and uh, maybe Vaughn's in the 12 to 13 range, but both really good players. If they're able to stay healthy with Jarrell Casey's interior rush, it wouldn't surprise me to see this Broncos defense you know be top five in sacks maybe lead the league in sacks I mean they're going to end up being as dominant defensively as they've been since 2015 and we'll get to the secondary in a second I'm sure but that's kind of the concern but as far as edge rushers go they're set there they've got some good depth with Jeremiah Atachu um, there and then Malik Reed an undrafted player who came on last year Inside linebacker-wise, I think there's probably more questions. You've got Alexander Johnson, who emerged last year as a really good player, 
uh, and former five-time Pro Bowler Al Wilson, who played for the Broncos, thinks he's got the makings of an all-pro, uh, just has the physicality you want, the sideline-to-sideline speed, made plays and pass coverage. But he's a bigger guy, and so I think the Broncos still need to find uh, that linebacker that can cover a tight end, can cover a running back out of the backfield. Right now, that guy's Todd Davis, who's been there for several years, has been a starter for the last three, I believe. Uh, and Todd's a tackle machine, but he's not what you would probably hope for in pass coverage. And so I think if the Broncos, you know, they drafted Justin Sternod out of Wake Forest, maybe he can step in there a little bit and help out. Uh, but, but otherwise, that's kind of one of the questions I have is when you go up against Travis Kelsey, how do you stop him? Yeah. Because that's the, and I know we're talking about the Dolphins and the Broncos here, but in a bigger picture sense, when you face those big time tight ends, what do you do in the last couple of years? Linebacker has not been the answer for the Broncos. And that, that does translate well to the Dolphins too, because we have a really athletic Marvel and Mike Asicki on the roster here that can cause some problems up the seam, caught a bunch of touchdowns towards the end of the year last year and really came on strong in his second season. I just want to continue this theme real quick about my, newfound Broncos fandom that I wasn't even aware of until this podcast. But, you know, Von Miller did those Old Spice commercials for so long that were my favorite commercial on TV was were some of those Von Miller commercials. Then you've got Bradley Chubb, who I fell in love with throughout the draft process. I used to take these videos of, of draft players and say, here's why I like them. And there was a clip of Bradley Chubb after he had gotten bumped very slightly after a play there at uh, South Carolina in college. And he like flopped backwards and rolled around in the end zone and act like he just got ran over <laughs> by a truck. It was hilarious. The guy's full of personalities, I'm sure you well know. You mentioned the secondary there, Eric. Let's go ahead and move back to the final position group here. Lots of change back there. Another player I was a big fan of, Chris Harris, is now out. A.J. Boye in. How does that impact the type of coverage and type of defense they want to play in that secondary for Denver? Yeah, I mean, this this secondary played man for so long when Wade Phillips was here, uh, and then Joe Woods took over for him uh, after he left for L.A., and that's really what they did when the no-fly zone, as they called themselves, with T.J. Ward, Darian Stewart, Chris Harris, Akeem Tlaib, Bradley Roby. I mean, they played man and press man a lot, and they made plays on the ball. And, and Vic Fangio is more of a zone guy, and he wants to put these cornerbacks in position to make plays again. And that's where I think A.J. Boye fits in really nicely. He came over for a fourth-round pick this offseason from Jacksonville. I loved that move before free agency starts because, Travis, I mean, you guys were able to pick up Byron Jones. You had some other cornerback options on the market. But the issue, if you wait till free agency, is that you know one or two of them are gone real quick, and now you have to either overpay or you're just stuck without a top option. And so I love John Elway going out, spending a fourth-round pick on a guy like A.J. Boye, who still has got a couple years left on his contract, has played at a Pro Bowl level, and kind of filling that need before free agency even began. I mean, I was impressed by that. Boye had 16, six picks in 2017, so he has that knack uh, for making plays on the ball, which the Broncos really need. They haven't forced enough turnovers the last few years. The rest of the cornerback position is a little bit of a question mark for me. Bryce Callahan is expected to be a starter. He was as good as any nickel cornerback in the league in 2018 with Chicago, but then broke his foot at the end of the year, re-aggravated it in training camp ahead of last season, and just... He was never able to get on the field. I mean, we talk about Jawan James, kind of the stop and start nature of his season. Callahan didn't play a single snap. And so he's supposedly healthy now. He said he's ready to go. But we have no idea where he's going to fit in. I mean, Vic Fangio has said this is a guy that can play outside cornerback. 
but we've just never seen it. And he's not a big guy. And so I would expect him to still end up in, in that slot position. And then the Broncos have to find a third cornerback somehow. They've got options on their roster. Guys like third-round pick Michael O.J. Mudia from Iowa, Devontae Bosby, Devontae Harris, Isaac Yadam, third-round pick from a couple years ago. But one of those guys is going to have to grow up really fast or else when you play teams with multiple options, you're not going to have answers. Um, and maybe one of those answers, Travis, is you turn to your safeties because I do think that, you know, we talk about Bradley Chubb and Vaughn Miller. We talk about Colton Sutton and Jerry Judy. But between Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons, uh, I mean, that could be one of the best safety duos in the league. Justin Simmons, a second-team All-Pro last year, I think had seven, 15 pass breakups, which was 10 more than the season before. I mean, he's just an impressive player that's rising up the ranks among safeties in the league. Uh, has been franchise tagged. I think we'll find out here within the next week and a half what's going to happen with that, whether he's going to play on the tag or sign a long-term deal. Uh, hopefully it's the latter because he's a guy that Walter Payton Man of the Year has done everything right, has made plays and gotten better and better. And, uh, you know, he's that ball-hawking free safety. Kareem Jackson is the hard-hitting guy, laid out DeAndre Hopkins last year in Houston. Uh, together they make a really good pair. But, yeah, I think that third cornerback position – and then left and right tackle. If they can find answers there, this roster is pretty solid. But those are holes that you know, those aren't places where, where you want those things yeah. to show up. And maybe it's one of those situations where you play a little more big nickel and bring a third safety onto the field. I mean, you can find that's the thing I like about the modern day NFL game is it's not just about we have to have this weak side linebacker and play him here. We have to have this corner. You know, you can just you can just put your best five at a position group on the field in today's NFL and just match up that way. But then again, I guess a zone defense maybe it's not as easy there in Denver. And maybe you covered this question for me here already on the podcast, Eric. But I want to know who is the most unsung player on the Broncos roster that people aren't talking about maybe even two years ago it was Justin Simmons but I think that ship has sailed because that's one of the best safeties in the NFL like you mentioned who is the next guy that we're going to hear about in a year or two on this Broncos roster that no one's talking about right now yeah I'll give you one for each side of the ball and you know I do think before I get to that I don't think Corlin Sutton gets enough attention even though he was a pro bowler um he's not talked about right now in the same conversation with the DeAndre Hopkins or Julio Jones uh you know, he's getting close to that. So before I kind of name these two players, but I think Noah Fant is one, obviously a first round pick, but I think he's about to have a breakout year. You look at some of the numbers that a Travis Kelsey, a George Kittle, uh, Rob Gronkowski that they posted in their first year, very similar to what Noah Fant did at his, uh, in his first year last year. So really wouldn't surprise me if he gets up in the 80 catch range, uh, nears a thousand yards, um, you know, has, eight, nine, ten touchdowns. I mean, I think he's a Pro Bowl-type player. And then I know I mentioned Alexander Johnson briefly at inside linebacker. He's a guy that was outside of football for so long uh, because of legal issues and is now playing and is just so athletic, was a first-round-type talent. Um, you know, it takes a while to get to the Pro Bowl because it's in part a, a popularity contest. You know, how well do people know you? Uh, but he's a guy that I think you talk about two, three years from now, He's going to be getting a big contract. He's going to be, you know, a household name in Denver. And I think if you know football, people will see how talented he is as a linebacker. And Eric, you mentioned a couple of the weak spots there you might be concerned about heading into training camp. And I would assume that's part of your answer for my final question for you here. We've got Eric Dalala of DenverBroncos.com here on the Drive Time Podcast. The Broncos make the playoffs this year if... 
Oof. I mean, it's Drew. I mean, if Drew is good, yeah. <laughs> that's really all there is to it. I mean, it's a tough schedule. I think ESPN has the Broncos with the toughest schedule in the league. Um, you've got to play the NFC South. So you've got home games against the Saints and the Bucks. You've got to go on the road on Thursday night football to play the Jets. And you've got to go on the road to play the Patriots, who now look a lot tougher. There's not a game on the schedule that I think you can guarantee a win for. You know, in some teams, when you look at their schedules, you can do that. But they're going to have to win the games that they have to win. And I know that sounds kind of simple and maybe uh, obvious, but they have to be able to beat a Chargers team with either Tyrod Taylor or Justin Herbert at quarterback. And the way that all happens is if Drew Locke is able to take that next step. If he is not as good as he was last year or if he falls off, or, you know, for whatever reason, he doesn't take that next step, then all these resources you've invested with Jerry Judy and Graham Glasgow and Lloyd Cushenberry and KJ Hamler, and even some of the defensive moves with Jarrell Casey, I mean, those are wasted to some extent if Drew isn't able to live up to the pressure that he now faces. And make no mistake, it's been the offseason of Drew Locke. They've done everything to help him. They've put him in position to succeed. They've empowered him. But now he's got to go do it. And so he faces some of that pressure. You know, you can't throw these interceptions that put the defense in a bad situation. Um, But I think if he's able to progress like we expect, and like I think he will, the Broncos are going to be good enough to score 25 points a game. And now the defense isn't in these short field situations or on the field for 35, 40 minutes. Uh, And even though the schedule is tough, I think that's going to lead to better football and put you in a position where you can win – 9, 10, 11, if you're being really generous games. Um, And I think we saw the poise from Drew last year that shows he's up to the challenge. But, I mean, hey, he had everything you can ask for in terms of an offseason. And now, you know, now it's his turn to do it. It's exactly right. I think if nothing else, you have to give the Broncos credit for making the conviction, the the idea to go out and just attack this offseason to make it Drew Locke's football team. I love when teams do that with their young quarterbacks. He is Eric Delala, uh, denverbroncos.com. You can find him on Twitter, at Eric Delala. Eric, we really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much, and go enjoy the rest of your vacation, sir. Hey, thank you. And away he goes, Eric DeLala of DenverBroncos.com, taking a preview at the October 18th game scheduled in Denver. It's a 4.05 Eastern kickoff, week number six. We have previewed the Patriots, Bills, Jags, and now the Broncos. We'll get the Seahawks and Niners, the week four and five opponents here coming up here very shortly. Got plenty of other interviews on the hopper for the Know the Enemy series. Again, go check out the MiamiDolphins.com piece. The October opponents up there right now on the website. As for today's podcast, that is going to be my time. A happy 4th of July weekend to everybody out there. In the meantime, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, tuned in, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Follow the Dolphins at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible Podcast. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. I'll be there in a second, Caroline. Until next time, fins up.